Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Dream Bigger podcast. I'm your host, Sif, and I'm the founder of Array, and I'm so happy that you've tuned in. Before I get started on introducing today's guest, I have a favor to ask. If you love the show or feel like it's brought you value, please write it a review. It only takes two seconds, but it really does go a long way. So let's get into today's show. Mona Sharma is a holistic nutritionist and wellness expert. Her story is incredible. She survived two heart surgeries before finding her path to wellness, and she grew up in an ashram. I don't want to give too much away, but she is really, really inspiring. If you watch Jada Pinkett Smith's show, The Red Table, you may have seen her on it. I watched one of the episodes that Mona was on prior to my interview with her and knew that we were going to have a great conversation. In this interview, we talk sugar addiction, emotional eating, sleep, stress, and basically all the tenets of overall wellness. I hope you love the interview as much as I enjoyed speaking to Mona. So let's go ahead and welcome her to the show. Um, So now I'm a nutritionist and a wellness educator, and uh, I love it. And I really grew up with this, but my life kind of took a twist. So 10 years ago, I used to work in the corporate world. I worked for a handful of luxury beauty companies doing uh, makeup artistry and sales and stuff like that. So on paper, it sounded amazing. I was able to travel the world, do makeup for fashion shows, work with all the people in retail, doing makeup and the whole thing. And it sounded really glamorous. But like you know, the common story, many corporate jobs comes with a lot of baggage, right? So here I was traveling the world, eating, you know, out of every hotel room, not knowing what city I was waking up in, processed food, lots of alcohol and drinking and the whole living the life in fashion. Um, And I knew deep down it wasn't really my calling. So it just led to me burning out completely. Now, uh, I had heart palpitations, which led to having two heart surgeries. I was overweight because the doctors put me on beta blockers, which made me completely lethargic and just like healed my energy completely. So I just knew when doctors told me that I was also perimenopausal at 28, um, that I was going to have a hard time having kids. I was like, okay, what is happening with my life right now? I need to like go back and make some serious changes because this is the complete opposite of what I grew up with. So to give you that background, my dad is East Indian. My mother is Danish. I've only ever known my mom to have debilitating rheumatoid arthritis. So it's an autoimmune disease. Her mm-hmm. entire body is completely deformed. So with my father's insight around yoga and Ayurveda, he would take us to live on an ashram every single summer. Ashrams are spiritual centers where the focus is really on community and food and movement and breath work and, and stuff like that. So we went to the ashram in Valmoran in Quebec. And it was there really that I saw firsthand the healing power of food. 
growing up, my mom was the person who was always trying different things and she was so progressive and not letting her disease progress like her mother who died at, you know, in her sixties. And so I saw my mom doing all of these things and the healthy food and the food is medicine. But of course, you know, I derailed because my experience at the ashram was, you know, my dad waking me up at five 30 in the morning to meditate doing yoga when I just wanted to like be outside and playing two vegetarian meals a day when I'm like, where are the crackers and kids junk food and stuff like that? So I resisted it. Right. So sure enough, at that pivotal point in my life with my health crashing, that's when I went back to my roots. And this time I went to the same ashram, but this time in, in the Bahamas, I lived there for a little while. I became a yoga teacher, meditation teacher, and a, you know, ultimately a nutritionist. And that was the shift of everything. And it's not to say that the weight just like completely came off of me. It was definitely a journey. It still is a journey for me. But I think that this awareness, what I use that now with my clients, it's like, I call it bringing the ashram to the city. So all the fundamentals that we take from the ashram and how to incorporate them in your personal life, because you can't, you know, you don't have to go to an ashram <laughs> to have the same healing as me. We all have access to it and the tools and the mindfulness and everything. And what I love about it is that it really simplifies it. It's like turning down the noise in the wellness industry. So I'm sure some of your listeners are very aware, like there's diets pitched left, right, and center, all of these different it's, modalities. It's confusing. Do. It's really yeah. confusing. I'm confused. So from my client's perspective, I'm like, I get it. Let's take this back. Let's start with the basics again, and then build up the right regime for your constitution the way that I did for me. And I think that that's what I'm most passionate about with my clients and touch wood. My health is at its best and I'm feeling great. And I've had two kids by the way, even despite what the doctors said to me. So yeah, things are really good. That's amazing. I honestly, I love hearing stories like that. And like, you know, I, I think it's so important to kind of be an explorer and like take kind of take control of your health when things feel kind of out of control. Because like, I mean, I, I come from like a similar sort of story whereby, you know, I had a really poor immune system for my entire life. And, you know, anything, any, anything that was in the air, I would catch it. And like, you know, in high school, I missed a ton of school. You know, I like in, in university, I got meningitis, like, it's just like chronic coughs. And anytime I'd go to the doctor, it was like antibiotics or like, I fractured my ribs, here's some codeine. And like, you know, it just kind of broke me. And I was like, this is enough. I'm just going to look into it myself. And that's like, that's why I started Array because like, I kind of saw the power in like natural things. And I wanted to bring that to women. So like, I, I completely get that journey and I relate to it so much. And what a common story it is these days, right? How many people suffer? We go to our doctors and God bless our doctors. They're incredible at what we, they do. We need them. Often antibiotics mm -hmm. is the right solution. But when it, you know, is uh, debilitating your health and especially as a kid or a teenager, when it's just, there's something that's out of balance that has to be addressed. So I'm so happy that you made it through on the other end because so many people suffer it with it throughout their entire lives, right? Because they think because their doctor said one thing that that's the way it's got to be when there's another way. Yeah, because like, I think that people like even you see this like on a, like on a different level as well with like people who have like really bad like hormonal issues, they think that it's just normal. And like, that's kind of how you have to live. And it's I think just putting that education out there and just giving people that hope that like, no, you know, there is another way and like, you know, you you can do things as well to get to that root cause and sort of like, make those lifestyle changes to feel better. So I, I like I love that you do that. Don't you 
don't you feel like, you know, I'm sure you hear a lot of girlfriends suffer with imbalances. Um, and we kind of, we get used to it. It's like, oh yeah, I've got that bloating. Oh yeah, I used to have that. Yeah, but that's normal. Been there, done that. And it's like, no, we have to kind of take a stand with the people that we love and care about to say, just because these symptoms are common, they're not normal. Yeah. So like, hey, yeah. you know, dig into this. Maybe you want to find another doctor. Do a little bit more research. And if you know, because I'm sure you felt this as well, but for me, intuitively, I'm like, no, there's something that's wrong. They're not catching it. I just feel like something's wrong. And I wish I found the right doctor to help me. And it did take a journey. But you know, because of my mom doing that work for me, we found a great functional medicine doctor. Functional medicine doctor being someone who really is you know, um, committed to finding the root cause of the imbalance as opposed to treating the symptom. They're very different. But because of that, it's like, oh, that's the year that I stopped taking antibiotics unnecessarily, that I was able to be introduced into another world of other doctors to really give me the information and education that I could feel empowered instead of depleted, which I was before. Yeah, I love that. So say, for example, you know, someone is looking into your work or is interested in sort of taking small steps to feel better, you know? What are the most basic tips you can give to someone who's looking to get healthier? Great question. So we, first and foremost, obviously we, we can't underestimate the power of food. So this slogan food is medicine is like becoming so trendy these days, but take it seriously. It's not like medicine. Food is medicine. There's information that comes from food that delivers information to your body. And that's going to dictate how your body should run right? Feed your body garbage, it's going to run poorly, right? And so often with my clients, when I take a look at what they're consuming every day, we're looking at the food in their fridge. And more often than, than not, there tends to be an imbalance of foods that comes from boxes and packages, right? So according to Ayurveda, we call the life force of that food, it's like dead food, right? Mm -hmm. The closer that you can consume food from its natural habitat, meaning from the earth, the higher the energetic and nutritional value there's going to be. So just take a look at what you're consuming in your house. Is it food that is fueling your health, your goals, and who you want to be and how you want to feel? Or is it food that's depleting you, maybe not making you feel so great, often food that gives us that temporary satisfaction, but long-term we know isn't helping us thrive, right? So don't underestimate that. And I would say the other thing too that's so essential is Often, I really don't work with a lot of my clients until we understand their biology. So if you work with me, you know that you're not going to go on a, a diet per se, mm -hmm. because how could I put you on the same diet as somebody else, right? The foundation is clear around these high-vibe high foods, um, consuming good quality fats and stuff like that. But when I'm looking at your health, I want to understand your biology. So go to the doctor every single year. You deserve to get a full spectrum blood lab to understand what are your deficiencies. Maybe there's a vitamin or mineral deficiency that we can like really focus on together so that you are clear on that. And that's that part of prevention that's going to make you feel good, right? Everything that you do today is going to benefit you years from now. So don't underestimate that. And then the third thing I think, you know, anybody can take away is especially now and the stress and the anxiety that people are, are, are feeling it's really, you know, addressing this idea of healing and letting go. So if you practice journaling or meditation, or you just notice that you have certain triggers that trigger you, right? They cause stress or anxiety, and it could even be something from your past or your childhood, the way that you were brought up, unfulfilled expectations, a conversation that you had that still gets you lit and getting into that state again, you have to address that. 
right? Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you know, I look at a lot of clients who do eat the healthiest things, right? A lot of the professional athletes that I worked with, they're doing all the things. They've got the doctor, physiotherapist, acupuncturist, nutritionist, the chef, you name it. But something is off and often it's because of unresolved emotions. Certainly was for me. I know that there is a direct emotional relationship to my heart palpitations and my heart ache. Mm -hmm. Um, So address the underlying thing that happens um, when you do feel those emotions and know what it's time to let go of. I love that you talk about, especially that last part about like emotional and like, you know, mental well-being, because it's true, you know, like we tend to hold on to a lot of stuff and it kind of impacts our, our overall mental state. And, you know, like you're, you're right. Like it could be something that you hold on to that like triggers you in a different way now. And it's, it's really interesting that you bring that up because I do think that the body and like the mind, everything is so interconnected. And like this portion of things is almost kind of like ignored, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like this baseline for me. It was baseline anxiety that I just gotten used to living with. Right. So because of my athletes, I ended up uh, studying NLP. So NLP is neuro-linguistic programming so that I can understand like the thoughts that I was having, the languaging that I had was normal because I hear myself every day. Um, but was also, you know, hurting me, right. The thoughts that weren't healing me. And it was my belief system, my core belief system that like, oh yeah, maybe that wasn't real. Maybe the comment by that teacher when I was in grade three, you know, made me feel so shitty about myself, but I can actually let that go now. Right. And, um, so I think it is very, very important because we also know, you know, um, emotions get stored in the body. Right. Um, in Ayurveda, we call this accumulation. What are you accumulating over the years? It adds up, right? So Mm -hmm. notice what you're relating and what you want to let go of so that you can feel more freedom every day. All right. Like, do you have any resources or like, I guess, things you recommend for dealing with that emotional piece? Yeah, a couple of things. So some people who are more on the introverted side prefer keeping it to themselves, obviously. So things like journaling, writing it down, using a guided meditation practice, um, exercise even, right? Something that gets them into that higher state, right? Happiness, joy, freedom. Um, And then for other people, I would say find somebody. We all need to clear out the closet, so to speak, right? Find, um, you know, a psychotherapist, a holistic psychotherapist that you can work with, but also someone who's going to give you practical tools to take away with you because often hearing them played back to you from an expert is what makes you acknowledge them like, oh, that's really not normal. And it's something that I can change, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of your dialogue and belief being, no, this is the way that I am. I have to live with this for the rest of my life. It's just the way things are. It's not, right? We change cellularly. Our bodies are changing every single day. So by changing your mindset and your languaging around yourself, doing the work that way, you'll feel the difference over time. I love that. So going back to food now, I, I saw that you call yourself a flexitarian and I, like, I, it reminded me of, um, Dr. Mark Hyman's term, like Tegan diet. And I know that you're a fan of his too. I'm obsessed with him. So can you explain why you call yourself a flexitarian? I would love to kind of share that piece with our, with our listeners. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Okay. So when my health was at its worst, I was the hardcore dieter. I did everything hardcore, right? At the time I was on the Atkins diet. For some people, they might love it. For me, it was wrong for my constitution. And so now with my clients these days, I will always try everything so that I gain education and understanding for what they do and and so on. So 
Um, because of that, you know, I think it's just this inherent feeling of you have to understand that when you go onto a diet, does it feel good for you? When I go on any type of a diet, I go back into my old patterning where I feel like it's all restriction based. I go back to that old behavior of going hardcore, which wasn't serving my health at all. So when I thought, you know what, sometimes I'm craving certain things, the more that I got in tune with my body and what I needed and the fact that my body is changing with the seasons getting older, um, well, how could my diet be the same throughout the entire time? We're all looking for the magic pill and the perfect diet. But I think the more that you can honor your constitution and develop this like intuitive eating, you'll know what to do in order to feel better, right? So yeah, Pagan is like, it's pretty brilliant because it fuses two worlds together. So when I think about being flexitarian, you know, it's grounded in this plant-based eating, um, but with flexibility for animal products in moderation. So obviously this is a, a beneficial diet because we know that plant-based foods offer protection against cancer, diabetes, other health conditions, essential micronutrients and vitamins and minerals, you name it, that high vibe idea that I was talking about. But also for me, I am prone to going a little bit more anemic. I've got this blood condition where often consuming some more red meat is beneficial to me. So every other month, if there's a time that I'm craving red meat, I will consume it. I will look for a you know really great source of a grass-fed, um, steak or something, give it a blessing before I eat it and consume it to see, because then I really notice the shift that it brings my body, right? And it goes back to that term, using food as medicine, right? So if you're deficient in certain vitamins and minerals and nutrients, I just took stand, I understood my biology so that I knew what to eat. So I think it's a term that everybody can adopt, even if, um, even if they are on, you know, something like a diet, they know that that works for them. The difference for me is that my approach is now rooted in this idea of self-love and tuning into to what I need so that I can follow it long-term and feel good. So when you work with a client, for example, um, do, you, do you work with them so that they are eating a lot of plants, but then you're kind of tailoring their needs for like animal-based or, you know, whatever proteins that they have, like based on what, what they need, I guess? A hundred percent. Yeah. So I'll typically give my clients um, a food list, right? But the foods are all whole foods, right? So outside of that, we look at their goals. We look at their deficiencies. If they are working at prevention, if there's an underlying virus or a health issue that they're dealing with, often I'll work with their doctors as well. So they really get clear on what those needs are. And then we'll monitor it. I want to know that over that time, my client is actually feeling good and that they're feeling nourished. If you're not feeling nourished, then what is the point, right? Um, and I'm not meaning nourishment from like the feeling that you get when you eat a really yummy pizza with bread and cheese and butter, like that's, that's a little bit different. But when you get out of this state of food cravings, right, you lose, you lose the cravings for those foods, but then you start to actually nourish your body with, um, with the right diet right? So for some of my clients, you know, maybe they'll go on a keto style diet for two to three months, and then we'll start reincorporating some other foods back in on rotation so that they can feel, oh yeah, like I really noticed the difference here, but I was craving a little bit more carbohydrate. Maybe they're not sleeping well, so we're doing a little bit more slow burning carbohydrate at night. So it also depends on their energy levels and stuff like that, what stage uh, in their life they're at, but so many variables, right? Mm -hmm. So, and this is what's crazy too, that a lot of the studies that are out there that are the scientific studies around diets, well, who are they tested on? 
right? A lot of the big diets that are popular today were tested on men, men not women, yeah. right? Like the keto diet, for example, it's based on a lot of men's results because women have this monthly period that got in the way of the scientific testing. So I think it's really important to just like own your constitution, understand your biology, notice your food cravings, but also your ethnicity, right? If you honor where you come from, I know that for me, I've got, you know, my mom's side, that's meat and potatoes. My dad's side, that this is just vegetarian Indian cooking. I feel better on more of an Indian style vegetarian diet. My brother feels better on more of a meat and potato style of diet. So I think that your genetics also has something to do with it. I love that. And I, I like, I like that, you know, it's, of course, it's not a one size fits all. And like, there are so many different kind of components to think of before, like, oh, this is, this is my thing or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So you touch, and it takes time to figure it out, right? Yeah, for sure. So, sorry, there's like a little bit of a lag. So like, if I talk over you, that's, that's the reason. Totally, um, all good. So when it comes to cravings, right? Because like people have them. First of all, why do people have cravings? Do like different kinds of cravings um, mean that you are missing different things? Like, you know, what if someone is craving chips as opposed to sugary things? Like, do those mean two different things? For sure. So chances are, if you're craving a processed food, it's because there's something in it, a processed ingredient that you're craving. What people don't know is that food scientists are actually hired. They're paid big bucks to make foods highly addictive, right? Even the foods that you see at Whole Foods and at the health food store, there's food scientists behind a lot of those ingredients. Why? It's a big market that keeps you going back for more, right? So when you go through this elimination phase of cutting out the processed foods, that's when you tune in more to the inherent intuitive eating. Maybe you're craving vitamin uh, oranges because you're vitamin C deficient or steak because you're iron deficient. Like those types of cravings, I think you can actually honor instead of the bag of Doritos or the pizza, right? And I think we have to address the fact that sugar, right? There's over a hundred different names for sugar. Scientists have gotten really smart in giving them different names because people are getting a little bit more intelligent with reading food labels, right? It's highly addictive. It makes us feel good. It gives us that moment of pleasure. It keeps us wanting to go back for more. It contributes to our blood sugar levels, right? It gives us that up, but then we crash and then we crave some more again. So, you know, you have to recognize what your food addictions are. If they're from processed foods, then there you are. there's your answer. But also do your research, right? People have heard this a thousand times. If you're reading an ingredient label on a list of food that you have, one if it's this long, ditch it. Um, if you don't understand any of the ingredients in it, then also ditch it because if you can't understand it, then I promise you, your biology won't either. Um, and the bigger picture to that, I'll always say to my clients is it's because of us that those foods are, are growing in the marketplace, right? So we actually, and Dr. Hyman talks about this all the time, we control with our dollar. So if you're going out there and purchasing all of these foods that are making you sick and globally are contributing to the obesity factor, the cardiovascular factor, um, the diabetes epidemic that's also happening right now, then those foods are going to be made in higher quantities. And the higher the quantity that they're created and sold, um, they can also sell them for a cheaper amount, right? And that's the really kind of, you know, the food industry thing that gets me going is that I get it. Those cheaper processed foods, they're cheap. They're easily affordable for people who don't have the, the money to go and 
buy the whole foods all the time and do the the grocery shopping because it's it's backwards isn't it like those foods shouldn't be more expensive the foods that come from the earth should not be more expensive but we live in a society where where they are right so you know notice your food habits uh writing them down try to replace those habits with another habit so often my clients were for example trying to get rid of sugar Mm-hmm. have a cup of tea instead go for a big glass of lemon water so you're replacing that sweet taste with a tart taste instead um increase your protein intake if you're finding like me the joke when i was pregnant with my daughter i turned into a carbitarian not a flexitarian <laughs> i was just addicted to carbs it's all i wanted um but just you know recognizing that and often if you're craving more carbs and more sugar if you increase your protein intake, you're going to stabilize your blood sugar a little bit more, and that takes you out of that craving mode as well. Um, yeah, I think those are the biggest things to kind of support losing the food addictions. I love that. Um, so I feel like under, I guess, this now like a sugar umbrella, um, there's also this debate around fruit as well. So like, you know, there are experts who are, you know, like it's like a fruit is like the devil and it's a no, but then of course others are like more in the middle. And I feel like, you know, a lot of the times people have become afraid of bananas. Like this is like a very real fear, right? So what do you say to people like that? Like, what do you, what, what are your thoughts here? So when my health was at its worst, my girlfriend, I love her to death. She would call my house, the house of free sugar free fruit free carb free <laughs> you name it i just i dodged it i was freaked out i stopped eating bananas like that sounds crazy doesn't it sound crazy I, no i've been bananas there Mona. Are- i have been there so i get it <laughs> it makes no sense and you guys now i eat like three bananas four bananas a week we eat fruit um so yeah so first of all understanding your constitution okay Fruit is mother nature's candy. It's sweet, right? Um, So if you have a fruit addiction, it just means that you're constantly craving sugars and carbs. Put those tools into into habit, reduce the sugar intake, go for lower glycemic fruit instead, like berries and stuff like that. Wait, explain the lower glycemic for people who don't understand. Yeah. So the food that you intake has a glycemic intake index. So, you know, if you were to have a a chocolate bar or, you know, entire bowl of grapes, they'll likely spike your blood sugar in the exact same way. Uh, One's obviously a little bit healthier and has other vitamins and nutrients, but from a blood sugar perspective, you'll experience that sugar up and then you'll also crash if you're not eating again or doing anything to stabilize your blood sugar. So if you're someone in that constant craving mode, then yeah, it's probably beneficial that you cut back a little bit, increase fiber rich foods, increase hydration, maybe go for a walk after you do those things, increase your protein intake and stuff like that. But this idea of adopting that like sugar is bad for you, I get there's a lot of science out there um, based on the sugar specifically in fruit. But my philosophy again is, you know, rooted in this Ayurvedic perspective. We are human beings who acquire taste buds for so many different flavors, right? Bitter, sour, street, uh, sweet, astringent, spicy, all, all of the things, right? So everything should be consumed in moderation. So the way that I incorporate fruit in our household is that we typically just have it before one o'clock in the afternoon. That's it. We use it in the morning when typically we need a little bit more energy for the day, gets us going. 
but never underestimate the power of the food that comes from nature, right? If it's grown that way, it's just loaded with all the vitamins and minerals and nutrients that you're going and purchasing that multivitamin for. So always go for food first, but just notice if it ever becomes an addiction, why it's becoming an addiction. Yeah. I mean, great points. And I'm, I'm with you. I feel like it, it is from nature and it's just, again, about moderation. And I've, I've been there and I think that so many women have whereby like, I would say, you know, your, your friend put it in very succinct terms. Like for me as well, it was like a free house. I wasn't eating any of these things because I was scared of everything. And, you know, it took me to a side where it was just like, okay, this is really, it's getting in the way of like relationships, my ability to go out and hang out with my friends. Like I wouldn't go out on date nights properly anymore. So it's like, that's not healthy either. You know, that's a really good point actually, because, you know, is this fueling a food behavior that you have? Right. So I would, you know, I would go restriction, restriction, restriction. And then the night that it was time to go off, I would just go out and binge eat, everything. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, I'm going to eat it all today. And then tomorrow I'm going to go back to being hardcore. Right. It's like the all or nothing, right? Like that's, that's what it is. And it's so toxic. Yeah. And what's so funny, you're bringing back a memory. When I was at the ashram, we cut out sugar completely. Uh, There was a little bit of fruit, not a lot of fruit, but I remember, you know, at the end of my time there, I could actually taste the sweetness in spinach we don't consider spinach to have any sugar, but I could taste the sweetness in it. So like the more of those foods that you have, the higher the addiction is and your tolerance will be to taste them, right? So, you know, a lot of the, I'm sure even as an adult, if you go back to eat a food that you enjoyed as a little kid, you'll be like, oh my God, that's so sweet. How did I eat this all then, right? So once you lose the addiction, your taste buds are actually going to change as well. So yeah, I'm a big fan of zero ingredient labels. So go for that first before you start stressing about the impact of a banana on your waistline. Such great advice. Great advice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On this topic, I guess I also wanted to discuss emotional eating because I mean, you know, some people, they either, you know, they're, they're, they're snacking away when they're stressed or they're feeling a certain way, or, you know, you lose your appetite. Tell me about emotional eating and like, how do we address it? Yeah, there's kind of two sides to this, right? So there's that cultural component. I think a lot of us come from cultures where, you know, you're celebrating, you eat, you're happy, you eat, you're sad, you eat, you're frustrated, you didn't have a good day, you eat, right? So I get that. But I think that the difference is now with your awareness, you have to really just understand, well, is this, um, what's the difference between physical hunger and my body's craving or reaction for needing sustenance right now versus eating out of boredom or the emotional eating, which is like a really deep rooted thing that must be addressed, right? So once you acknowledge it, I think it's important to set boundaries, right? Um, you have to focus on self-care, right? Are you eating to fuel something that you don't have? Are you eating out of frustration? Are you eating to feed emotions? And it's important that you replace the habit. But it's funny, I hear myself saying this and I work with a lot of people who's like, yeah, Mona, I've tried the journaling. I've tried going for the walk and I still just want to eat. I want to get, you know, a, a tub of Ben and Jerry's and be on my couch and just shut it down, right? If there's a time for that and you feel like, you know what, you just need to enjoy it, then enjoy the crap out of it. If it's becoming a habit for you and it's happening consistently, then notice that there's an underlying food behavior that 
it's time to change. It's not serving you. It's certainly not serving your health. It's not going to make you feel good because you'll likely feel terrible the next day as well, right? So you have to realize the impact of what you're consuming. So the way that I, I really think about this now is if you think about how you're treating yourself, treat yourself how you want your loved ones to treat themselves. And so if you notice this food behavior in someone that you love and that they were doing it over and over again, that it was actually self-sabotaging, you would do anything in your power to help them change, to lose that behavior, right? Um, Pema Chodron actually speaks brilliantly about this. She says, what you do for yourself, you're doing for others. And what you do for others, you're doing for yourself, right? Because you know that by you going and consuming something that's going to make you feel terrible long-term, and then you go into the world in that state, your vibration isn't attracting likely what you want to attract. Mm -hmm. If you do the opposite, you address your emotions, you go through the work of getting through them and making it to the other side so that you're going out into the world, feeling a sense of liberation and freedom that you've taken controlled. And then you're feeding yourself some medicine and something that's going to nourish you and actually make a difference at a cellular level. You know, the impact right then and there. Right. But I think first um, the desire to change after you recognize the habit is of utmost importance because you have to want to change. Yeah, for sure. Um, aside from, I guess, food, uh, there's like so many other components that kind of uh, contribute to your health. And I know sleep is obviously a huge one. So what are your tips here? Like how can someone get a restful sleep and, you know, ensure that they're waking up feeling energized? Because you know, uh, so many people I speak to, they, they wake up in the morning and they're just like tired and obviously something is off. <laughs> sleep is a really big thing these days. And I love that it's getting a lot more awareness. Honestly, after, after food and addressing the things that you're holding on to, sleep is on my list. So for about a year now, I've been wearing this aura ring to affirm basically that I'm a terrible sleeper, which is awesome, but <laughs> it's great because it, you know, it, it keeps me informed of a change needs to happen. Sleep is when our bodies restore. It slows down the aging process. It helps us show up more impactfully. We know all the benefits of getting great sleep, but none of us are sleeping well, especially now through the pandemic, stress is on the rise. Even before pandemic, anxiety-related disorders were on the rise globally, right? So sleep is of paramount importance. Well, how do you do it properly, right? Adults also need sleep training in the same way that kids do. And so when I think about my kids, what do we do for our kids? We, you know, we get them into a state before bed by giving them a warm bath and maybe some oils on their skin, getting them into comfortable clothes, turning down the lights. We go into their bedrooms, which is the sleep room, and we're doing a little bit of reading together. We're winding down even more. Um, maybe there's some essential oils in the background, and then they go to bed. It's kind of like a learned behavior and how to unwind and then fall asleep. As adults, we're you know, on our phone scrolling. The lights are on until really late. We're catching up with some news or a really you know, dramatic TV show or something right before bed, and then we expect our bodies to fall asleep. And we've interrupted sleep throughout the night. Maybe we're not sleeping enough. So um, again, committing to the change is important. Setting the stage at night just the way that you would with the little kids. So in our house, we'll turn down the lights. Um, there's blue light blocking everything on every screen that we have, which is a, has been helpful. Um, and then no screens for one hour before bed is so important. Zero screens one hour before bed. And then going down into our bedroom, the only thing that you're going to find in my bedroom is my bed. 
and a nightlight and my nightstand. There's no electronics, there's no wires, there's no cords or anything. It's really a room that's meant for resting, relaxing, sleeping, and sex, right? Make sure that your room is, is designed to be optimal for you. Make sure that you've got, you know, black light out, uh, block out curtains if you, if you need, but no light. And then the other thing is consistency. So just like little kids going to bed at the same time, be consistent, go to bed at the same time so that your body starts to expect it. So the hormonal shifts happen to help you and support you winding down and staying asleep longer. Um, and then consistency over time. So be firm, nine o'clock wind down, for example, 10 o'clock you're getting into bed, 10, 15, 10, 30, you're, you're going to sleep. And then you're waking up at the same time every day. I think that this is such a great tip because people, I think the concept of a morning routine is definitely catching up, but I think that people don't talk about the evening routine enough. And it's true. I mean, if I'm having a heated discussion about work and, you know, checking emails and firing away, you know, with all my energy right before bed, it impacts my sleep. Like it, it really does. Yeah, this ring has affirmed it. So if there's a night that I'm scrolling right before bed, I'm up like six, seven times throughout the night. If I'm free of screens, I can, I'm not the best sleeper, but I'll still, I'll only wake up two to three times a night instead. There's a marked difference. So like, I know for me, it's a big trigger as it is for a lot of my clients. I feel like I need that ring. You've like, you've, you've convinced me I'm, I'm going to buy it after this, after this interview. Like I, I need it. <laughs> So many sleep devices, which is great. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) So let's talk about chronic disease. I know it's not exciting maybe, but I'm wondering how important of a role does something like genetics play when it comes to chronic disease? Well, this is something that's really dear to my heart. You know, even with my clients, as much as I want them to feel the difference while being on a program with me, it's really about the long-term results. And this is when I kind of geek out over the science because science is now affirming, proving that, um, you know, we can turn off the cells, the genetic markers that cause imbalance and disease. You can actually shut them off based on your diet, your lifestyle, your stress, your environment, and all of the above. So I think it's really important to understand because a lot of people will just live in fear. Oh, you know, my mother, my grandmother had cancer, so it's inevitable for me. For me, rheumatoid arthritis, whatever the imbalance is. So addressing that, but also take really owning your routines and your food, right? If you're wanting to turn off those genetic markers, you have the power to do it. It's not about working with the doctor, just do all the things. And I think to your point before, where we said about the internet getting really loud with all the tips and the advice and everything, um, we know about a lot. My clients are experts, I tell you, but there's a difference between knowing and doing, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you have to live your life like me, trying all the things and trying to be your best and a perfectionist, but it's finding something that really honors and suits you. So with the studies as well, like we can really understand the impact of our bodies, um, how they change. So if you do work with a functional medicine doctor, after you make some subtle, subtle shifts, for example, maybe doing a little bit more yoga, a bit more meditation and um, a diet that's like 75% plant-based. If you go back to your doctor a couple months later, I guarantee you're going to notice a difference in your labs. There's the evidence that you might need to fuel the belief that you have control over how your body ages. Isn't that cool? 
Um, and then you can go and have fun with all the biohacking and all that stuff. That's another, another question. <laughs> it's true. So I, I, like, I'm reading this book now. Um, it's called Lifespan and it's by David A. Sinclair. I think he's a genius. Like he's, he's like an expert on aging. And, you know, I think like, it's so interesting what he talks about that, like, you know, you can really prolong your vitality and just the concept of like, this, this really, I, I guess like aging and just sort of falling apart being like the, the root cause, like that being really like the disease, quote unquote, you know what I mean? I think it's really, really fascinating. So from, from your perspective, like what are those key things? Like, yeah, like food and stuff, but are there like specific things you introduce to your diet to kind of prolong that vitality? Yeah, that's a really great point. So I love David Sinclair. That book is an amazing, amazing read. But he really has like adopted all of this new science and give us, given us insights on how we can extend our lifespan right now. It's not about aging first, it's about doing all the things now. So like you said, he addresses factors like, you know, um, epigenetics and diet and obesity and physical activity, tobacco, smoking, environmental pollutants, stress, anything that affects our constitution. And speaking about how you can avoid that and shift your genetic code, because a lot of the things that we do, it's not damaging in the moment. It's the repetition of them that cause damage to ourselves long-term, right? Um, so yeah, a lot of the things that we can do obviously is optimizing our sleep, removing stressors in our life, do the detox of your community, right? Who are the people that you're hanging out with? Are they fueling you? Or are they depleting you? Are your conversations fueling you or depleting you? Ask that question throughout everything in your day. Go down your schedule. Is this fueling me, making me feel better and taking me towards my goals? Or is doing this depleting me, making me not feel so good, fueling my stress and taking me away from my goals, right? Um, it's a big one that you can ask with food, especially. So you kind of have to set the stage. So, you know, my analogy of the ashram, when you go to the ashram, the stage is set. It's a peaceful environment. There's beautiful sounds. There's beautiful pictures. There's an energy that just you feel. The food is nourishing. Um, the chanting is something that makes you feel good. There's music in the background. You focus on great sleep. You focus on great um, you know, eating and meditation and mindset. So set the stage in your house. Go around and look at the things that are there that are causing you to feel more energized. Love what's in your home, clear space. A cluttered house is a cluttered mind, as my dad used to say. So clear space and replace them with things that feel good. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free. And then you can look into other measures. So obviously doing the diet that I, that I mentioned, notice the impact of going a little bit more plant-based, even if you do consume meat. Um, supplementation is really important. So uh, David, he speaks a lot to um, a supplement called NAD or resveratrol great high quality antioxidants, that other buzzword these days for your diet. Um, but focus on those things first, and then you can go out and you know think about the biohacking. Um, so using an infrared sauna, doing cold plunges, um, breath work is a really, really big one. But all there's a lot of things out there, but I promise you, start with your home, start with your routines, and start with your diet first, and then you will naturally create the impact of epigenetic reversing the effects of that. Very cool. So my last question for you is something I love asking high functioning people and like personally something I'm obsessed with, which is morning routines. What is yours? 
<laughs> I love this question because I think people have the assumption that I've got it all figured out. Like, oh, what do you do? I'm going to write this down. <laughs> but I have two kids who are under six, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a little crazy. And bless my babies, but they also are morning people like me. So they're often up at like 5.30 or 6 o'clock. So a couple of things that I, I will always try to do. So for me, I understood the benefit of shifting my vibration before I even get out of bed, right? You want to set the tone for the day. Often when we wake up, our immediate, immediately our minds go to stress. Um, oh my God, what do I have to get to? What is today going to bring? What are all the things that I have to do? You're going to align with that for your day. Instead, start your day off in gratitude. So I'll take my hands over my heart, thank my body for working for me 24 seven. I'll, um, you know, think about gratitude for three things always. And then just imagine what I want my day to feel like. Notice I said the word feel, it's about the feeling. I want to invite more energy and happiness into my day today. Maybe I need a little bit more laughter. That way, the second my feet hit the ground, I'm already in the mental state of aligning with happiness. Hydration first thing in the morning is a big thing for me. So every single night I take a massive kind of liter of water with me to bed and I'll sip that first thing in the morning if I'm not doing some hot water on colder days. And I think a lot of people expect that I would say meditation right away. Often my meditation and uh, let's just say I think a lot of people think that meditating is challenging. Your meditation practice is always going to ebb and flow. Honor whatever you can get every day. Often for me, it's doing tree pose at my coffee maker you know, just focusing, inhaling three breaths, exhaling three breaths as I'm hitting, you know, the red button to make me coffee. And that's okay. But I think that meditation first thing in the morning when your mind has a little bit more stillness is really important. So if I'm able to tag team with my husband, I'll I'll get that in. And then following that, once I get the kids out and ready to go, I'll always do some sort of movement. My philosophy, and I think the three pillars from the ashram are food is medicine, Movement is therapy, and then mindfulness is the journey. So notice how I'll do one thing from each of those categories every day. Take the stress out of my mind, thinking that my wellness journey has to be complicated. I just do one thing from each of those pillars every day, and that's what keeps my morning feeling great. So moving my body, we all have felt that change in state when you exercise. Um, I'll either go out for a walk and get some sun on my skin, or I'll use my mirror downstairs for a really quick workout. That is awesome. That was a long answer. No, I love <laughs> I morning. love details. And actually what you said for the first thing that you do in the morning, just like even before you get out of bed to have that, I mean, like positive vibration, uh, that's something I'm going to do because it's not even something I think of doing while I'm still in bed, but it's true. Like if, if that's how you literally, like, it's the first thought that comes into your mind when you open your eyes, like that's, that's amazing. What a beautiful way to start your day. Yeah. And I think it is so powerful because I don't know who said this, but it stuck with me. But if you own your mornings, you own your mind. If you own your mornings, you own your day. So in that time, I mean, just take advantage of the state that you're in when you first wake up and just owning the fact that you can change your state. It's not about looking for all of these exterior motivatives. Um, It's about you learning how to do it. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Mona. Tell everyone where they can find you, social media, website, all of that. Yeah, so um, Instagram is definitely my outlet of sort um, of preference, I would say, for social. So find me at Mona Sharma. 
Um, I'm also the founder of a great company called Hickama. So it's um, a functional beverage drink that's based on the gut healing benefits of Hickama. You can find me at Hickama Life on Instagram as well, but I love the aspect of community. So come say hi, reach out, follow my tips and stuff like that. And that's where you'll find me. Amazing. 